So, is meat bad for us or good for us? Is it an essential part of a diet or something we should be avoiding altogether? It seems almost weekly we're hearing about a new study that says we should eat less meat or that meat is not associated with poor health outcomes. My name is Mike Von Masso and this is Food Focus, the podcast. Today we're talking to Dr. David Ma, Director of the Guelph Family Health Study and a professor in the Department of Human Health and Nutritional Sciences here at the University of Guelph. I ask him what we should think about meat in our diets and how we should think about those conflicting studies. The reality is that conflicting studies don't mean bad science, but that's sometimes tough for the general public to understand, and it's often tough for us to discern what the best path forward for us as individuals are. David helps us navigate some of those issues. Thanks again for listening to Food Focus. Subscribe if you don't already, and please submit a review wherever you get your podcasts as it helps others find us. If you have questions about an episode or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, send us a note at foodfocus at uoguelph.ca. We'd love to hear from you. Now, here's my conversation with David. Okay, David, thanks for taking the time today. My pleasure. So, I wanted to ask you, you know, as a, as a non-nutritionist, we get all of these messages historically, we should be eating less meat, should be eating less red meat specifically. Then recently, the study comes out and says, well, no, maybe that's not definitive. And we're hearing people argue in the press. So, hmm. what should we be thinking? Sure. Um, yeah, really great question. And, and uh, I'll start by giving your listeners uh, my, my take-home message. Okay. And it's, it's a very simple message. Eat in moderation and in variety. Uh, but I think, you know, that the message is, is a simple takeaway and, and has a lot of meat behind it, pardon the pun, in the sense that as a society, we typically overconsume. Uh, we're just living in this environment of plenty, so we have to be mindful of not overeating because it's just too easy uh, to do so. Uh, and then secondly, uh, variety. We, we know that uh, variety is important, uh, yet what we tend to do is stick to what we are used to and, yeah. and our go-to meals of sorts. But incorporating variety in the diet is very important for getting all of our nutrients that we need uh, to sustain our health uh, for growth and maintenance and prevention of chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. So while the message is very simple, it's actually a little bit more complicated. So being mindful about how much you consume and, and variety is, is very simple things that uh, I think are, are easy to implement in one's uh, daily lives. The science, so going back to the, the recent uh, uh, studies that have been published, it's created a lot of interest in around dinner tables. Uh, it's highlighted the fact that uh, even even amongst experts, we disagree. Uh, but I would say that's normal and that's healthy in the sciences to have a constructive dialogue and debate about the science. And uh, science is not something that is black and white. Uh, as scientists, we realize that we propose a hypothesis, we propose an idea, and we test it. And we could be wrong. But unfortunately, when we see science depicted in TV shows and movies, within five minutes, uh, there's a there's an absolute solution that has been generated, right? <laughs> Eureka! And, and, it's, and it's crystal clear and it's absolute. So one analogy is that, you know, in science, we're trying to figure out how a piano concerto works by understanding how one simple key fits amongst all 80-some keys. And in, in, in it could be an upright piano, it could be a, a grand piano, etc. So, so science is kind of like that. You know, we, we don't know the big picture, but we're really looking at very specific 
details and trying to uh, build out from there. The other thing I wanted to share is that nutritional sciences is a very young science. Yeah. It's only a couple, a few hundred years old in the sense that we, we uh, uh, first identified the essential uh, vitamins and minerals and macronutrients, uh, the various vitamins, for example, vitamin C that contributes to uh, scurvy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yet, uh, we have long-lived disciplines like mathematics and physics that are hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, yeah. So, uh, we have to understand that that context and that nutrition science is in its formative years. We're going to continue making mistakes. We're not perfect. Yeah. Unfortunately, as people and human beings, we want perfect answers. We want binary time. answers. Good, bad. Yeah, good, bad. Black, white, or, yeah. Exactly. So, the, the science is going to continue to evolve, and that's why we have these apparent flip-flops. One day... You know, eggs is terrible for us because of the cholesterol. The next day, it's good for us, uh, or don't worry about it. And, and that's happening in, in multiple domains, and, and most recently around uh, meat as well. Yeah. So the latest uh, uh, papers suge- suggest that, uh, so these were meta-analyses where they looked at uh, a number of large studies that have been published, and they pooled all the data together, and they came to the conclusion that the evidence is, is weak. Uh, and because the studies and the evidence is weak, Therefore, we can't make strong conclusions about what we what we recommend for, for meat. And what has been recommended uh, by many organizations uh, in the past is to limit uh, red meat and processed meat uh, to reduce our risk. And uh, so it's not absolute, but it's reduce our risk uh, for developing various chronic diseases like heart disease, diabetes, and, and cancer. So there's there's merits on both sides of the argument or the or of the debate. There's uh, there's some pros and cons uh, in the sense that um, the past recommendations have based, been based on nutritional studies, long term studies, uh, using the best available tool, tools that we have, and we recognize that the tools that we have could be better. But as many sciences science disciplines go the tools and the science only get better over time. Yep. And we're still a young science, so we will continue to improve and, and, uh, and adapt. Uh, but for now, the tools that we have on hand, for example, are, 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 are survey tools, for example. So it's asking people to remember what they ate yesterday or maybe even a year ago. And that's you know difficult, right? But a lot of these tools have, have improved over time, and they're getting better. But nevertheless, there's some limitations in terms of trying to remember you know what what we've eaten or what we've done right yeah. and then there's also challenges in terms of uh, what's actually in the food that we eat because recipes change formulations change and then also remembering how much that we consumed as well of whatever meal that we that we had uh, so there's all sorts of, of uh, there's various limitations and challenges and there's also bias too yeah. so sometimes people will tell you what they want you to hear versus what they actually what <laughs> they actually did uh, but we, we try to take into account those things in our analyses. So these new studies, meta-analyses, looked at the totality of the evidence with a very, very strict lens uh, in terms of evaluating the evidence and the specific question that they're, they're asking. So that, that creates uh, a bit of challenge because if you narrow your question too much, then you may not be seeing the bigger picture. But then it becomes more precise because then you're answering the only question that the specific question you're interested in, right? So there's a bit of push and pull in sort of the debate, right? If I, if I can interject for a second, David, go back a little bit to your methodology. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges, and, and, and we have similar challenges often in, in economics, is that 
even if you're trying to look, to use your analogy, at, at one key, mm -hmm. we can't do sort of randomized control trials where we where we take yep. people who live in Guelph, for example, and say, you have yep. to eat less meat, and then people in Waterloo, you eat more wheat, meat, and, yep. and, and so we, we not only have to ask people mm -hmm. how much they eat, but we have less control over some of the other differences between people. Oh, for sure. So I'm glad you brought that up uh, because the methodology that we use in nutritional sciences, uh, there's, there's uh, ongoing discussions about the approach uh, and how we uh, evaluate the strength of that evidence. And so in nutritional, in nutritional sciences, we use the same methodology that all other human studies are based upon. For example, case control studies, longitudinal studies, randomized control studies. These are all typical human-type experimental yeah. designs. So in nutritional sciences, we do the same thing. The challenge, though, as you just pointed out, uh, there's inherent limitations as to what you can do or expect from people. Yeah. And so the argument then is that, well, in pharmaceutical companies, uh, pharmaceutical companies can test single drugs, single molecules in a randomized control manner. And they also have uh, enormous economic ability to do so yeah. as well. Yeah, money matters. Yes, money matters to to run these huge, tremendously huge trials in multi centers and and testing single molecules. The challenge on the food side is that even if we're interested in a single nutrient, uh, it's also on the background of what we're also already consuming. Yes, right. So we have to take into account what's in the background. But the other thing too is that uh, there's complex relationships between food and other factors. Uh, there's a relationship between diet and physical activity and sleep and all sorts of other lifestyle uh, factors, which don't necessarily complicate pharmaceutical studies, but are something that complicates nutrition studies. So there's ongoing discussion about, you know, perhaps we're comparing apples and oranges mm -hmm. and, and, we're, and we're confusing and we're, and we're creating unnecessary confusion because we're trying to force the square into a round hole mm -hmm. or vice versa. So there is some discussion that you know, perhaps at the top level of the pyramid for the highest quality of evidence, uh, that's a randomized control study for pharmaceutical type drug trials. There should be a recalibration of what is the actual gold standard and achievable for human nutrition studies. Because mm -hmm. if we continue to say that RCTs is the gold standard for everything and everyone and every discipline, then that's creating inherent problems in terms of how we evaluate the strength of the science. Yes. And it will never, we might be able to do one, but it will not be possible to do on a regular basis the RCTs that are expected of, of drug trials. Yes. So perhaps the longitudinal observational studies is, is the best that we can do because that's feasible. We can observe people over time, many many years, and follow the trends. And, and we can and, and we can learn things. Oh, absolutely! Right? It, it, it's yeah. not like these studies are invalid. Yeah, they're just not as definitive, say, as a randomized control. Right, product. and yeah. we can't do that because we economically we can't do that. Logistically, we can't do that. People move around. People change their dietary habits over time. There are also, frankly, some ethical issues. Right, mm. so we can oh, yeah. we can't take a hundred people here and say. You have to eat three times the recommended daily dose of sugar yeah, because we want to learn what it does to you. And this group over here is not going to. There's yeah. some, you know, th there are also some issues that we have to think about exactly. in, in terms of, of what's yeah. feasible and ethical. For sure. So those considerations were not taken into account in the latest uh, articles published in Annals of Medicine. Yeah. So they took it 
they, they analyze the data from a strictly impractical lens in yes. the sense that, you know, if all things are perfect, we had unlimited resources, then, you know, let's evaluate the science on that basis. But then the reality is it's not. So yeah. it's an unfair comparison. So that's why, you know, all the, uh, when you evaluate all the studies, all the nutritional studies were, was evaluated as low quality. Yeah. And therefore, low quality means imprecise uh, and, and, and therefore lacking ability to make definitive conclusions. Yeah. So sorry, sorry to oh, interrupt yeah. you, but, but I think it was it was important that you said earlier that the findings of that study weren't that red meat was good for you. It was that the evidence that it was bad for you was weak. Right. So and, the, and I think that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the evidence. So what they said or included in the studies was that there was was insufficient evidence to show that it was it was harmful for you yes. or increased your yeah. your risk. Uh, so this is in contrast to prevailing uh, nutritional guidance that uh, lowering uh, meat intake, uh, red meat intake, and processed meat uh, reduces the risk of cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. So it pitted basically two disciplines against each other. The nutritional sciences that have, that have relied on these long-term observational yeah. studies for their conclusions versus the epidemiologists who have t- purely taken a statistical approach to the analysis of the data mm-hmm. without considering the biology and, and us li- simply living as people. Yeah. Think, right. So it was taken out of that context. So, so, so that's where the difference of opinion lies in the sense that, yes, they did it right, but then didn't think about the bigger picture of things. So, so again, if I were to come to you as a nutritionist, mm-hmm. you, you would tell me moderation, eat diverse diet. Correct. And, your recommendation with respect to red meat would probably depend on how much red meat I was eating to start with. Correct. Yeah. And so, and so, and so that in some cases, some people would argue we shouldn't be, for a variety of reasons, we should be eating less red meat for a wide variety of reasons. Yeah. But from a health perspective, yeah. it depends what your starting point is. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. So if you have a long history of, of significant red meat intake, then then it would be appropriate to counsel you to, to reduce... Uh, but then the other thing too is is thinking about the diet in its totality. So if you reduce something, you should also compensate. And and usually by taking out meat, we should also think about well, what else is in your diet? Because there's dietary patterns. So typically, people who uh, have an unhealthy diet is across a range of multiple uh, food items. So so reducing unhealthy items should be replaced by consuming more of healthy, and and that would be fruits and vegetables, for example. Yeah. Right, less processed food. Okay, so so you also said, and I think this is sort of relevant in the current context of the Beyond Meat and 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 all of these, is you said, well, if you're going to decrease your protein from red meat, if you need to, then you should make sure you're getting enough protein from other sources. Exactly, and yeah. and you need to think about what the quality of those other sources are. Right, so yeah. so if you're eating. I tried yesterday my first Beyond Meat okay. patty, yeah. and uh, and I looked at it. It had I think forty more calories than mm-hmm. than the beef patty yeah. would have, and probably had more salt. and And so I can I need to, I need to think about what levers I'm pulling here because yeah. they're not completely independent of each other either. So it's the quality of the protein. I'm yeah. Eating. So uh, so one should be. Mindful about total amount of protein and, and then also the quality of that protein and the source of that protein. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up the uh, these um, alternative meat options because yeah. they're really popular these days. Yeah. And they're also 
brings into the, to the discussion uh, the recent release of the Canada's Food Guide, yes. which promotes and uh, encourages uh, protein intake, but also but but encourages increased plant-based protein uh, in the diet. Mm-hmm. And so that's created a bit of confusion because I think when when you ask the typical consumer, you know, what comes to mind when you say meat, it's it's the traditional forms of meat, would be a chicken or beef or or pork. Yeah. And uh, and then people don't realize they also get protein from plants. Yeah. But from a nutritional perspective, plant-based proteins on their own are of a lesser protein quality. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? It's it's uh, so uh, we look at the amino acid composition. So we have twenty um, different amino acids that comprise the protein yeah. in different combinations, and those are the building blocks of our cells and, and tissues. So animal protein is is termed uh, is viewed as complete protein because it contains all the amino acids we need to build muscle, for example. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with, with plants, uh, they're lacking in some of the uh, important amino acids like glycine and methionine. Mm-hmm. So they're incomplete sources. So, the, so there, there's the quality issue. However, you know, if you're able to combine different sources of protein, so it goes back to the variety. If you're able to combine different sources of protein, uh, different types of plants, and, and, and also still consuming animal protein, you're able to obtain all the amino acids and, and therefore protein that you need for growth and health and, and, and maintenance. Uh, the encouragement of, of plant-based proteins has spawned a, a huge new industry mm-hmm. of, of types of food uh, based on plants, uh, plant protein, and it's the extracted form of, of the plant. And as you said, it's it's now we now have these options that are plant-based, but they're highly processed, but in the, in the, in the form of a burger, which... Yeah. I don't think we should be encouraging everyone to have a burger for every meal every day. Yeah. <laughs> there are other factors like fat and things that we need to think about. Exactly. That. So uh, it's a good option to have if you're choosing a burger, uh, but not necessarily the only option. So going back to moderation and variety, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yes, if you're going to have a burger, maybe consider a plant-based burger once in a while, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think the opportunity there is then to continue the innovation of these plant-based products in other formats. Uh, and, and that's where the food scientists and and, uh, and that discipline will come into play in, in developing healthier options in different ways and creative ways that that are uh, have a overall net healthier profile uh, with less salt and less fat and less calories. Mm-hmm. So, so what you're telling me is there is good science mm-hmm. to say that perhaps I shouldn't be eating red meat every day, in and and <laughs> and that I should be eating a variety of proteins but that I am safe and, in fact, actually encouraged to eat a little bit of red meat just so I get a balance of the types of protein Correct. that I need. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a black and white, uh, none or all kind of uh, discussion. And I think that's where nutrition has has, has has some challenges of late in the last few years, and that the discussion has been all or none kind of discussion. And, and what I want to emphasize is that, you know, mo- with the view of moderation allows you to have that range of, of, of uh, diversity in your diet. And frankly, diversity, from my perspective, also mm-hmm. brings joy to my diet, oh, right? It's yeah. like eating different things, experiencing different flavors. Yeah. And, and there are good plant-based proteins that aren't processed into a heme-filled right. patty, right? <laughs> is, yeah. is, is there are great sources of of, of protein. Yeah. Well, also, I want to uh, also say that uh, natural uh, or the intact plant protein is just as good as the process. Yes. Right? So, uh, 
So chickpeas and lentils. Yeah, I, would, exactly. I would encourage people to explore and, and try out uh, these uh, plant-based proteins in their natural state. Yeah. Right? Because they could be surprised that they would enjoy them. And it's just like anything you learn, once you try it out and learn it, then you know whether or not you like it or not. Right. Yes. And, and I think that's where the opportunity is in terms of, of uh, enhancing one's uh, diet and nutrition, improving one's nutrition. Uh, by being a little uh, creative and, and, and exploring. Yeah, and trying things. It, exactly. Exactly right. And and finding what you like and what you don't like. And and part of that, as we as we wrap up here, part of that is food skills, I think, to a significant degree, is, yeah. you know, I mean, we can make arguments about convenience and sometimes these plant-based proteins like peas and, yeah. and even lentils, you have to soak, so you have to plan further ahead and yeah. all those all of those sorts of things, but they they can provide great options. And mm-hmm. in the end, as you started, as long as we eat some diversity, yep. find what we like, and eat more fruits and vegetables, probably is a general yeah. rule that, that's, that's probably definitively <laughs> yeah, true. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, nutrition doesn't have to be difficult. Uh, the science will continue to evolve. And so I hope, you know, your listeners understand and, and, and be a little patient as we uh, as we grow and, and learn more, and then the science will improve itself and we can provide better direction in the future. Yeah, so that's a, a great place to finish, is that just because there are, are sometimes conflicting results mm-hmm. doesn't mean we can't get meaningful information from some of these studies. Exactly. Yeah. Thank good. you. Thank you very much, David. Oh, that my was pleasure. Really good. Yeah, fine. wrap up another episode of Food Focus, I thought I would just take a quick moment to thank Molly Gallant, who really does the heavy lifting in producing this podcast. She does all the hard work. I get to have the interesting discussions. Thank Zachary Von Massow for the original music. Before we go, I'd like to remind you again about our foodfocusguelph.ca website. Check out our blog, updated at least weekly. Check out previous versions of the podcast. Check out our trends report and get in touch with us. Food Focus at uoguelph.ca. We'd love to have you send us comments, ideas, suggestions, and just to interact and hear what you're thinking about. Finally, if you like the podcast, please take a moment to rate us wherever you get your podcast as this helps other people find us. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed it and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.